Would you rather, would you rather, this is one of these questions that young people ask each other, would you rather be sunburned or frostbitten? Sunburned or frostbitten? Both are types of exposure to harsh conditions, one on the hot scale, one on the cold scale. When I was, in, when I was a little kid uh, playing Little League Baseball, so that put me you know, 10 years old maybe, so maybe the third or fourth grade, I was asked in a school class to do an essay on what's the hardest thing or the... What's the hardest thing you've ever done that made you brave? So what's something, like, what's the bravest moment you've had in your life? And so here's my third grade self trying to think through, what's the bravest thing I've ever done? And I wrote an essay, and my mom kept this because she just, she thinks this is great. She said, uh, what I wrote was, the bravest thing I've ever done was playing Little League Baseball in the hot summer sun. It's the hardest thing I'd ever done as a th- by the time I was in third grade. Was you put on this big uniform, a hat, and you stand out in the outfield for what seems like hours and hours. And I, I, I grew up in the South, so it was hot in the summertime. But that was what I was considered the bravest thing I'd ever done. And I, it kind of it shows the privilege that I grew up with, because I obviously didn't have too many hard things that required a lot of bravery in my life. But for me, that was, that was one example of something brave I had done. But I think the bigger thing was the exposure that I felt. I just felt exposed to a blazing hot sun, and nobody in Little League could hit the ball out to the outfield. So I just felt like I was standing there for hours with nothing to do, just taking off my hat and you know, just trying to keep myself cool. Oftentimes, this is how we picture God, I think, being exposed by God as some kind of harsh judge that strips us bare and makes us pay the penalty of coming to him. When we expose ourselves to God, sometimes we just picture the worst, kind of like a third grader standing out in a hot sunny day uh, playing baseball. Religion, religion says this, quote, I've really messed up. My dad is going to kill me for this. That's what religion says. But there's a healthier type of exposure that I want us to be led into this morning. Think of the warmth or refreshment that a winter body feels when you travel on vacation to Florida in February. And then you feel 80 degrees on your skin. A healthy exposure. You wear a little bit less clothing and your body just soaks in healthy exposure. Or think of a scorched Floridian coming up to New England in October. Whew, doesn't that just feel good? Healthy exposure. True exposure, even though it's a bit uncomfortable, is the only path to restoration. And this is how we're being invited to see God, as the one who is always there to receive us in our hours of greatest need. The gospel says, man, I've really messed up. I need to call my father. Remember, religion says, I've really messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Gospel says, I've really messed up. I need to take this to my dad. And maybe he can help me with this. Think of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, they, they commit the gravest error they could have made. They rebel against God's word and his command. 
and they sin. They eat from the tree they were told not to. And as a result, what do they discover about themselves? They're exposed. They discover that they're naked, that they're shame. And they're, they're revealed to each other and to God. And yet what we see about God next tells us how we're going to see God's character throughout the rest of the Bible. Does God zap them at that moment and, and condemn them and end the human race right there? No. He does bring judgment, but he also comes to them. He seeks them out in the garden. He finds them. They're exposed before him. And then God slowly begins the process of reclothing them. He gives them the grace of making clothes for them, and they cover themselves. They experience judgment of leaving the garden, but then the story of God's redemption then begins to unfold chapter by chapter of how God walks with his people even as they're exposed in sin before them. So this morning, as we continue on in Mark, we're in Mark 7 beginning today, and we're going to be continuing on this story of the Savior, looking to see who Jesus is, how we can learn from him, how we can be like him, and how we can trust him more. And so over the weeks, we've talked about many things. Last week, we've focused in on Jesus being the essential, the essential thing that you carry with you on your journey in life, and especially in your journey in Lent. That Jesus is the core thing you want to take with you and pack with you in your knapsack on your journey. This week, we're looking at Jesus, the one who exposes, or the exposer. This is a little bit of an uncomfortable thing for each of us. You should feel uncomfortable uh, being exposed. It's a natural, common thing. But we're going to look at it a little bit closer this morning and see what God wants us to see through this passage. So today's sermon, we're going to look at two things. Jesus exposes us to two things. First, our outward traditions. And secondly, our inward condition. So our outward traditions and our inward condition. We'll take these one at a time. So number one, the first 13 verses or so in Mark 7 lead us into this idea of Jesus exposing our outward traditions. Or another way to look at it is the things that we hold on to tightly with your hands. So think about your hands. This, Jesus just, there's a nice little metaphor running through this story, especially in the first part about hands. You'll notice that so much of this uh, the first several verses are referring to hands. And so uh, there's really two, two perspectives here of hands that we're going to look at. But before we get to that, I'm going to tell you a story. Two weeks ago, my family and I drove up to northern New Hampshire to visit some family. And there was a lot of snow up there two weeks ago. So talking about being exposed, we were exposed to cold weather. But we decided to go sledding one day with our nephews. They have, there's three nephews that we have. And... Um, we went up to a big hill and went sledding one day, and they had several different types of sleds. And so our kids were on some sleds. Sarah and I got on some sleds. We had a great time. It was really fun. But these sleds, they, they're varying in size and in shape and in durability. But they all had one thing in common, that there was something for you to hold on to. And I hadn't been sledding in a long time, at least down like a big hill. We've done some little hills with our kids. One thing I learned pretty quick was how you hold the sled or the string on the sled determines pretty drastically how your experience is going to go. So if you hold on pretty tight, you start jerking it, and then you start doing spins down the hill. 
But if you learn to hold it lightly, just enough to keep your balance, and then trust the path that's in front of you, you just zip right down and it's pretty fun. That's a little bit of a picture I want you to see here about what Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees through these things that they're grasping onto. So again, there's two perspectives of hands here in these 13 verses. The first perspective is what, the, what, Jesus, what Jesus' disciples' hands are like. And this is from the Pharisees' perspective. So the Pharisees are looking at the disciples' hands and they're seeing people that don't wash their hands before they eat. Which on first glance, you're like, I'm totally with you, Pharisees. You should wash your hands before you eat. Like, and I think the last year, we've all kind of been reminded how important it is to wash your hands. So we have these nice hand sanitizer stations set up. It's a great health hygiene practice to wash your hands. Please hear me say that. We want you to wash your hands. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. And that's not what the Pharisees are getting at here. They're not talking about just simple hygiene. They're talking about a spiritual ceremonially clean practice that they're trying to build in. They saw the disciples as being unwashed or defiled or even common hands. They were not going through the pharisaical tradition of becoming ceremonially clean before a meal. And so they're going back to like how the tabernacle was set up and the process that a priest would go through with the bronze basin coming in before they made a sacrifice they were kind of superimposing that hand-washing onto modern-day people as becoming spiritually necessary. No one in this church is going to tell you that it's spiritually necessary to use the hand sanitizer station. That would be what the Pharisees were leaning into. So that's what Jesus is starting to try to point out here. And then you have the second perspective of the hands here, which is what the Pharisees' hands are like from Jesus' perspective. And he's looking at the Pharisees really in verses 3 and 4, where you get these parentheses here. And he's talking about the Pharisees holding on to or grasping too tightly to a tradition. And so if you look here, it says the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. D- different translations have it different ways, but the, really the, what that word means is to grasp onto the tradition of the elders. He says they're grasping onto it. And so Jesus is saying that the Pharisees, in verse 8, he gets into it and he says, uh, he says they need to let this go. Leave the commandment, uh, or hold on to the commandment of God. Uh, He says they're holding on to the tradition of men and you're leaving the commandment of God. So he's asking them to do the opposite, right? Hold on to the commandment of God and leave the tradition of men. That's what he's trying to get at here. So Jesus is exposing the difference between the two sets of hands. And the Pharisees' hands are set on grasping their own traditions. What are the traditions maybe that you and I are grasping onto and superimposing onto the word of God that maybe we're holding onto too tightly, that maybe is causing your spiritual sled to spin and to get off the smooth and right way that has gone before you. The Pharisees are being exposed for a grave switch of priority. They've switched the commandment of God for the tradition of men. And Jesus goes on to explain this deeper by taking on Moses and the Ten Commandments, how he says, 
Uh, he's like, you've done this with many things. So verses 9 to 13, he, he takes a different metaphor. He says, Moses said, honor your father and mother. This is verse 10. And he says, whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But the Pharisees kind of have twisted this into a new way as well. And he goes into this idea of Corbin. Whatever you gain from me is Corbin. And what, what, what's this getting at here? I, I did some reading into this this week. And really what he's saying is, is what the law of God, what the commandment of God wants you to do with your father and mother is to financially care for them and support them as they age. Which many of us are getting into that or have been through that life season where you're, you want to care for your father and your mother financially by helping care for them, by getting their, their food taken care of, by maybe taking them to a nursing home, by doing whatever you can to care for them just as they cared for you when they raised you. And what the Pharisees had done is they had just gotten into this wonky spiritual place where they said, you can actually take the money that was saved for caring for your parents and you can give it to the temple and therefore you don't have to worry about caring for your father and mother. You're, you're okay if you give it to the temple. It'd kind of be like me saying to you, don't worry about caring for your mom and dad. You can give the money to the church and you're spiritually okay. That's kind of what he's getting at here. And Jesus is saying, you are superimposing a tradition onto the word of God that is totally killing the integrity of what Moses was passing along to you. What are some ways that maybe we, we do that, intentionally or unintentionally? It can become pretty insidious. And therefore, Jesus calls the, um, the, the Pharisees hypocrites or actors what a hypocrite is. It's someone who's an actor who's putting on a really good spiritual show, but in their core, they're missing it. So what about the disciples' unclean hands? What is Jesus exposing about their unclean hands? He's exposing that they really haven't, they haven't broken any law at all. They haven't broken the Mosaic law by not washing their hands. They've just broken a human tradition that Jesus says is kind of debunk anyway. He says, what, he, what he's exposing here is, is there's a healthy level of disobedience to the Pharisaical law. And so the Bible talks a lot about submitting to authorities and things like this. So Romans 13 is a great place, and that's a great sermon for another time that I'm not going to really get into here. But he did say, he's like, you can disobey when it goes against God's law or when it's spiritually unnecessary. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here, is this ceremonially washing of your hands is it's just spiritually unnecessary. It's something that's being added on about the spiritual tradition of men that is over and above what God was asking through the commandments. So Jesus is saying that their hands are established because they're not replacing the word of God with something else. But just one chapter later, the disciples fall prey to the same thing. One chapter later, Peter rebukes Jesus for saying, I'm going to die and, and I'm going to have to be raised in three days. Peter comes straight to Jesus and says, how dare you, Jesus? Don't say that. That's not going to happen to you. And guess what Jesus says right back to Peter in chapter 8, verses 33. Turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. 
So what Jesus is exposing here is that, yes, in this situation, the disciples are, are good. They're being exposed that you're, to follow the word of God purely and simply is correct. But all of us have this tendency in our hearts to add on some kind of secret tradition of men, secret tradition of humans that, that we like to add on to the word of God that Jesus has to rebuke us for, that he has to expose in us and then correct us with. The truth is you can learn a lot by looking at people's hands. That's what we're learning in this passage. My wife and I have been watching a TV show the last couple of weeks called Tough as Nails. And it's a show about tough people and it's a competition to see who's the toughest. And one time they stopped the show and they had everybody look at their hands. And they showed the camera on each person's hands and it showed calluses and just really rough, tough people hands. And they took a lot of pride in showing that these are, these are what hands that work hard look like. And I wonder for us if Jesus is asking us the same thing, to, to look at our hands and say, what, is, what, are we, what are our hands exposing about us when it comes to the traditions that we again hold on to, the things that we grasp tightly? What are the things that he's asking us to release? William Bridge says that faith is the opening up of a clenched hand. Faith is the opening up of a clenched hand. Let the favor of our Lord, let the grace of our Lord be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. May our hands grasp the word of God only. So that's the first thing. That's the outward traditions that Jesus is exposing us to. The deeper part of this passage, what we're going to finish with is the second one. Jesus also exposes even more pressingly the inward condition of our heart. So yes, he calls us to look at our hands and what everybody can see on the outside. But he's also saying, I'm going to expose, I'm in, the, I'm in the job, in the process of exposing human hearts to the reality that no one else can see. And so that's what he does in these last nine verses. Everybody knows the story of the Titanic, this grand ship that sunk over 100 years ago. Sadly. But as the ship hit the iceberg, there's an interesting metaphor that uh, I was reading this week that someone was talking about. They talked about how there was an upper deck and a lower deck. On the upper decks were the wealthy people who were having their grand balls. They were dancing and drinking and just having a great time. And there were the lower class, kind of the cheaper seats on the bottom decks. And when the ship hit the iceberg... Guess who felt the rumbling and the effects of that first? The bottom decks. Those who were deeper into the ship. They felt the rush. They maybe had water rush in quicker. And the people on the upper decks, they may have felt a slight rumble. But they, people say they kept dancing. They kept partying. And they missed it. Jesus here is shaking us as if we're on the bottom decks. And he's saying that at the core and the deeper part of you is something that we need to be exposed to. You see, an an iceberg, let's just continue this metaphor. An iceberg, you can see a big chunk of it above the water, right? And so think about the captain of the Titanic. He could see maybe a little bit of the iceberg. But it's underneath the surface that really 90% of the iceberg lies under the water. And that's the dangerous part that oftentimes will sneak up on ships. 
90% of an iceberg is underneath. And the human condition is just the same. You and I can see about 10% of each other, I would say. But 90% only God can see. Only God can see your heart, genuinely and truly. And it's going to take some exposing for him to change it and to transform it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in these passages. J.C. Ryle, a a famous theologian from the last century, said, quote, men fall in private long before they fall in public. Men fall in private, or women fall in private long before they fall in public. You see, if our heart is not being exposed before God, we're just delaying the inevitable fall that will happen outwardly eventually. I've been really shaken in the last couple of weeks because one of my spiritual mentors had a pretty public fall in the last few weeks. Maybe you've heard of this, but Ravi Zacharias was someone that I really looked up to as a spiritual model. And if you look into it, if you Google it, you can find, unfortunately, the sins of the heart that Ravi had left festering and kept to himself that are now being exposed after his death that is really having a lot of people question the credibility of the words he spoke previously. Now I think you can still learn things from Ravi, um, but a lot of the trust has been shattered for people like me who have really trusted and, uh, and respected him. But the unfortunate thing is, is that's the reality all of us will confront if we don't let God expose our true heart and motives. 1 Samuel 16, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see God. The pure in heart, not the pure in hands, the pure in heart. And then Jeremiah 17, it's a core passage we have to confront. Verses 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and the mind. The Lord is the one who sees. And he actually takes pleasure in exposing our heart, not out of maliciousness, not out of judgment, or trying to throw us up in front of a, make a public spectacle of us, but because he knows if he exposes the motives of our heart, we can be transformed on the outside because we've been transformed on the inside. And so when Jesus here in these passages is talking about that there's nothing outside a person that going into a person can make them unclean, he's breaking down these ceremonial food laws that have been built up of saying, okay, if you eat certain things, then you're spiritually unclean. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Instead, he's saying, don't you see, verse 18, that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then it's expelled. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes all these awful things that he mentions. What I want to focus on just for these last couple of minutes is this. Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since those things do not enter the heart? Here's the question that I think the text is begging us to look into. What then does enter the heart? If things you eat can't enter the heart but enter the stomach, what does enter our hearts. What are things that we are practicing, meditating on, watching, 
involving ourselves in, that are entering our heart without even knowing it? That's a scary question to ask. What gets into your core? What resonates with you? What do you allow inside of you to your deepest part of your being? What do you spend the most time with? Who do you spend the most time with? And are you willing to have it be exposed to God or to another faithful brother or sister who will call it out of you? Or even willing to have it be exposed to yourself? Jesus is offering himself as the one to expose you. He's offering to do so not out of judgment, not out of maliciousness, not out of condemnation, but out of grace and love and mercy. He says, whoever comes to me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not the yuck that is coming out of this passage. All these things is not living water. That is defiled, unclean water. Jesus says, you come to me and you confess your sins. He's faithful and he's just to forgive you of all your sins. And then out of your heart will flow this fountain of life that Jesus promises. So what do we do to heal a heart that is so sick and to have the clean and pure hands that we desire? Let's go to Israel. But first, not to the person in Israel you're thinking. I want to go to a story in Israel that I read this week. In Israel, there were these endangered sea turtles who had oil that had gotten into their bodies because of defiled ocean water. And these scientists took them out of the water and are trying to figure out how do we clean out what's inside these sea turtles. And do you know what they discovered would work? I would love to know how they discovered this. Mayonnaise. If you put mayonnaise, if you have a turtle ingest mayonnaise, it actually helps clean out the oil in their system and it helps them become clean again. It's this foreign substance. Now let's really go to Israel. How do we have our hearts made pure? We go to the one who had pure hands and pure, a pure heart himself. Jesus, the Savior of Israel, the exposer himself. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Remember, hands and heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of, God of, of the God of Jacob. We go to Jesus, the one full of grace and truth. We come and we open up our unclenched hands to, so we can have the faith that he desires. Our cold hands have to be pried off of our traditions and our self-dependencies and our stone hearts must be melted by the one who has a warm word for each of us. And so when you are exposed before God, when you allow yourself to come before God and have your heart tested and made clear and open to him, when you're exposed before God, Jesus promises to clothe you with righteousness with new garments, with a new heart, with a new life, with a new reality. You don't have to hold back anything anymore. You don't have to keep these secrets that you think someone's going to judge me. The church will kick me out. Jesus won't like me if I expose myself to this. No. 
Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you the life you always desire. A transparent, open, authentic, genuine life. Search me, O God. This is what I'm encouraging you in your bulletin this week. In the read and do section, I say, you know, be searchable this week. Read Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and allow that to be your prayer every day this week. And this is the prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray directly to you at this moment and pray that you would be the one that exposes us. If it's not you, it'll be the world or a lawsuit or a wife or a husband or a close friend. Our sins will be found out. And so, Lord, we want to be assertive with our sin and come straight to you and say, Lord, would you expose us? Would you clean out this ugliness? And would you make us pure? Because you alone can do that. So, Lord, we trust you. We entrust our lives to you. We entrust our souls to you. You are a faithful creator. We love you. You are full of grace and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.